Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, it's Robin Openshaw here, and welcome back to Vibe. It's my great privilege today to interview Jason Prawl. Jason is a former mechanical engineer who has been all over the world studying human longevity. He has studied with some of the centenarian populations that were made famous by the Blue Zones research, and he is also a practitioner helping people resolve chronic, complex health problems and problems with overweight. Jason recently launched the Human Longevity Project, which is a docu-series discovering what people do that helps us live long and healthy. If we want to live a long time, we are living a fairly long time right now. We are now uh, predicted that our children, my my children will live a shorter time than me. And I think it might have everything to do with the toxicity in our world, but we're going to dive into that with Jason and learn what he learned when he went to all of the longest living people around the world, or many of them. Um, he is not affiliated with the Blue Zones, Dan Butner. We've talked um, quite a few times in different uh, episodes on my podcast and on the Green Smoothie Girl platform, we talk about the blue zones. What do we learn from people in the world who live to be a hundred and older at twenty to thirty times the rate that we Americans do? What are we missing? What do we not know that they know? And so Jason went around the world to these places, spent some time with these elderly populations, and then he ran all over the U.S. Uh, North America talking to longevity experts, and he learned a lot. And I'm really excited to learn from Jason Prawl. Welcome to Vibe. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's been really nice to meet you and learn a little bit about your work. And I want to know with the Human Longevity Project, you're you're looking at people who live into old age at at really high rates. Will you talk a little bit about what are the differences you noticed in their homes versus you live here in the U.S., I think, what, what you see here in, in the first world North America. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're starting to see a movement in the U.S., um, which is this sort of um, simplification, right? We are, we're kind of going into, uh, we're, we're downsizing things, we're simplifying things, which I think is a good trend. Um, this minimalist type of trend is, is a positive trend, and it actually gets us more uh, closer to the the, the populations that I witnessed, right? So when we were in Costa Rica, for example, or in Greece, they lived so simply. And that's today, right? So um, even today in a sort of modern world, everything's simpler, right? They don't have as many uh, products. They don't have, I mean, they don't use tons of, of healthcare or, you know, uh, facial products and beauty products and makeups and deodorants. And these things are not used in the quantities that, that we see here. Um, and so, you know, everything is simplified. They, they just require less to get by and to, to, to live well. So I think it's, it's something that you will notice if you start to reduce uh, your reliance on a lot of products and a lot of things in your home, you realize how much you don't need most of them, right? They're just extra and they, they clutter up your space. They clutter up your mind. They clutter up your bank account. I mean, there's just, there's no reason for a lot of these things. And most of them, unfortunately, due to the our industry are toxic, right? And so um, I'm sure you've had a lot of people talking about the comp the compounding effect of toxins. And so we have to really look at our, our homes and start to recognize that they're coming in from everywhere, right? From furniture, from the, the products in our bathrooms, from the laundry detergents and cleaners and stuff. And 
this is one of the things that we look at at our in our project in our in our film series is our relationship to the outside world and to to the microbes in particular, right? And so we've developed a culture where we want to kill all these microbes and kill everything around us. And now we're starting to learn uh, through research that we need to interact with these microbes. And that is one of the components of, of health and longevity. And so the very thing that we've been trying to do, which is kill everything, is not only killing everything, which is harmful for us, but it's also introducing toxins to our own biology. So everything is uh, more natural. Um, they have less stuff and they are actually outside more. So uh, they're just less reliant on being indoors. Um, I'll give you one really cool example about the, the old Okinawan architecture. They would build homes without uh, any nails or you know, anything to join the house together except for these really interesting joints. That, that, so in other words, they used completely just wood, no glue, no nails, no artificial anything. And these houses were sturdy enough to withstand you know, the, the typhoons and, and hurricanes and, and things that they get uh, on the island. So um, they just figured out ways to do things that don't involve artificial anything. Talk about the Okinawans a little bit, like specifically what you learned from them, because you and I were talking before we started this interview about how you and I have both read about how Okinawans are some of the longest lived people. When you look at the, the ones who lived through like World War II, then when you get to people younger than me, maybe even younger than you, they're not looking so great anymore. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's this is a historical um, aspect to longevity and to these places around the world that we have to really consider. Um, you know, if if you were a hundred year old person today, it means you were born in eight, 1918, right? Which means that for most of your life, you didn't have in industrial products, and so they grew up in a time. These old people that live there now that are we, we can look at to uh, you know look to for for advice and for for information. They grew up in a time where these things weren't an option, so they didn't have to think about them. They lived in a natural way because that's the way it was, and so their habits and their whole lifestyle is sort of directed uh, by those by that reality that they grew up in. Whereas the kids today, um, quite a different story. I mean, they actually have something called hamburger syndrome um, that they sort of coined in in Okinawa, and I mean, we see McDonald's, we see Starbucks. Uh, we see cell phones, we see technology, everything is starting to change with these younger generations. And you, you mean with, that you mean that all these franchises, all the, you know, they're importing all these Western franchises that feed people junk food into Okinawa. And that's a big reason why the current, the younger generations in Okinawa right now actually have tons of cancer and heart disease and all the diabetes and everything Diabetes. Else. Yep, exactly. And I think, I think that the real issue um, is of course, yes, the, these things that we can look to and, 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 and point at for, as a reason for this, this decline in health. But I think more, uh, more importantly, the entire framework has shifted, right? The, the older Okinawan generations understand the connection to nature. They understand harmony. They understand balance. They understand uh, taking care of the environment. They understand this connection the younger generations are losing this connection because of all these artificial things and all this Western mindset. You know, when you look at some place like Okinawa, you have a massive influence. Okinawa used to be in sort of independent island. And then it got influenced by Japan. It's influenced by the US. It's influenced by China. All, of, all three of these places have very Westernized or, or increasingly Westernized 
aspects to them. So the influence is now uh, directing the old Okinawan culture into something totally new. And this is what we see in the US and a lot of the Western world, which is this complete disconnection from nature. And when you don't connect with nature, you don't understand the power, the powerful aspect of that and the importance of it, then you're, of course, more likely to use toxic products because whatever, it works better, it's cheaper, it's easier, right? So I think we really have to reestablish this connection to nature so that we can understand the powerful uh, decisions that we make when we buy products, when we use products, because it doesn't just affect us, right? It affects first us, then it goes somewhere, and it's going to affect other biological organisms in the environment, which eventually will come back around to us. So it, these things don't go away. We have to understand that there's a big, big effect here. And we need to bring back this idea that we need to be connected to our environments. You know, when I was in graduate school, uh, studying to be a psychotherapist, I was really torn. My first year, I had, I had, a, I had to pick a, an emphasis and I ended up being a sex therapist but my other big love, the thing that I really wanted to do, I wanted to focus on gerontology because I, as an undergraduate, I used to go to this old folks home near where I lived and I would just like go door to door with my cleaning bucket and say, can I help you with something? Can I cook something for you? Can I shop for you? Can I clean your house? And, you know, and I would clean for them. And I, I met this one lady, I was friends with her all through college and, and she passed away shortly after I graduated college. And I found someone who needed me, who needed me to shop for her and help her and didn't have really any family to rely on. And, but what I loved, I mean, I like, I loved helping them, but I loved sitting and listening to her stories. And I would ask her questions like, tell me about this. Like, what was this like 50 years ago? And, and, you know, and she was pretty lucid. She was physically deteriorating, but she was very mentally sharp. And I learned so much from them. And I, I have always loved elderly people and what I learned from them. And so, you know, there's, Toxic issues when it comes to all the chemical toxins in our environment. But what did you learn sitting and talking to these centenarians that is of value to you in terms of just emotional toxicity and how to live in a way that is free from a lot of the weird first world stresses that we have? What'd you learn? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the big one, to be honest. You know, um, emotional toxicity is probably the fundamental driver of most health challenges, or at least a component of most health challenges that we see in the West. Um, the 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 aspect of emotional toxicity is is very interesting because it's all internal, right? It, it comes from within. It's it's you. You know, um, we often look at others and say others trigger us, or it's their fault, or this person's annoying, or this person's you know, a jerk or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's always how we feel, right? That, that we're the only person that decides that. And so, you know, talking to a lot of these people, and this was in Greece, it was in Italy, it was in Costa Rica, it was, it was a, a lot of places. I actually heard um, the same thing come up. One of the questions I asked them was, um, you know, if you could offer me one one tip or one, one piece of advice to live a long, healthy, happy life, what would it be? Um, and an overwhelming majority of them said something to the effect of some version of, you know, maintain good relationships with those around you and hold no grudges. And I thought that's, this is really interesting, right? I mean, how many of us have zero grudges? Um, I think there's not many people I know. I certainly still have some, even though I was told this by many people, right? So uh, it's a very challenging thing or it can be a challenging thing to unwind. But if we first accept this idea that 
you know, our emotional states are decided or, or, or decisions that we make, um, then we can start to take responsibility and take back our power. A lot of times we give our power away, right, in these emotional uh, situations. And I think um, when it comes to emotional toxicity, I mean, it, it's it's so difficult sometimes to see them because it, they generally operate at, at the subconscious level. And these subconscious traumas or these subconscious feelings that we have will manifest in various ways, but they are so toxic to the actual biology, right? They, they're toxic to the nervous system. They will shift you into a fight or flight response unknowingly. You, you, you may not even recognize this partially because we're so adaptable and we're very good at dealing, you know, with permanent stress um, in, in terms of like that being our sort of baseline state. Um, and so they can be very uh, sub, subversive. Like you just don't know they're there. And so I think it, it's, it's, can be difficult, especially in our culture to recognize these things. But um, I think it's, it's a, it's a critical factor that we cannot forget about. Um, and, and again, if it comes up over and over again, when you're speaking with people that are uh, 80, 90 and hundred uh, all over the world, um, then it's probably something we should pay attention to. I did in December, I did a neurofeedback for a week at this clinic, this retreat, and I had electrodes attached to all four lobes of my brain. And it was measuring my alpha, you know, beta, gamma, theta, delta. Okay. There's no beta uh, <laughs> waves <laughs> and seeing what we could learn from the brain and what they know from looking at a lot of people's brains is that what holds them back. And this goes to your point is lack of forgiveness. Yeah. And so a lot of our many, many hours we spent in there going through each person who had wronged us, each major event of our lives that we're still holding on to and going through a process to release it, going into that negative energy and going into the memory of that negative event and then releasing it and riding those alpha waves out into a place of peace and forgiveness and letting go. And I often talk about how both as a therapist, but also as a human, a mother of four adult children, uh, a divorced person now for 10 years that my big takeaway, someone asked me and a few people have over the years, what do you, what did you learn? What do you learn from your divorce story? Married 20 years, divorced, like, what'd you learn? And I learned this. And I wonder what you have to say about these elderly people you talk to, because it feels a lot like what you just said that they have in common, which is they don't hold grudges is I learned, let go. Let go, let go, let go, let go of more stuff. You were talking earlier about letting go of stuff. Like these people probably own two pots and pans. I mean, the longest living people in the world are not the wealthy people of the world, right? Yep, yep, exactly. And I think you hit it on the head. And, and I, I, I continue to say this, simplify everything. Simplify your thought patterns, simplify your emotions, simplify how you spend your time, your relationships, right? Your, all this stuff we can simplify. And it's, it's sort of paradoxical because we're always trying to do more, right? I feel like crap, something's happening to me. There's something I'm missing, I need to do more. I need to find the thing. And often it's shedding, it's stripping away. It's, it's getting to the core of really what's going on. And um, I think here's the interesting thing about the traumas and the sort of emotional toxicities. I think it can be dangerous if we, if we view them as a, as a toxin like mercury, for example, right? As, as in other words, something that's so bad that we have to get rid of it. I think emotions and these traumas that things that happen to us are so useful, but if we don't recognize them and we, and we can't see the pattern to, then they become toxic over time. But in, in a certain regard, they could be very, very useful and act as a powerful teacher, right? So we, we, we develop these sort of emotional things, uh, baggage, whatever, however you want to, to, to describe it. 
as a coping mechanism, as an adaptive tool, right? Something something happened to us and we use this thing to sort of get through it, right? To keep us safe. And they only become a problem when we're, you know, when we're holding on to them when we no longer need to. So I think a lot of this, we just have to kind of look at ourselves and say, what, what is going on? You know, what, what am I feeling? Where is this coming from? And take an honest look and try to uncover some of that stuff. And without viewing it as something so negative, just say, okay, that's what that is. You know, we can start to move through it, right? And release it and let it go. And this, this, this always comes back, it comes back to the same thing over and over again. It's just letting go. It's letting go of everything, right? And just riding the wave and just being cool with whatever's going on. So I think, I think you're totally right. Um, I did notice it was kind of interesting that a lot of the people that we spoke with, they didn't even have these things to, to some degree. It's like when you don't have those problems, they couldn't even speak to them. You know, it's like cancer. When I was asking them about cancer, it's like, yeah. <laughs> we don't really deal with it. So I can't give you any information, right? So same type of thing. I think they have a strong family unit. They've got a strong um, village or societal unit. And because of that, a lot of the traumas that we see here in the West don't manifest because they have so much support. They have so much care. So they don't have to develop these adaptive mechanisms that we might see in our culture because they have the fundamental support from the get-go. And I think we need to get back to some of that um, but in the meantime, we have to kind of work to shed our, our, uh, our traumas and our, our emotional toxicities by letting them go. Yeah. And it's that perfect example of that, you know, that saying about, uh, not forgiving is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping that it kills the person who gave it to you. Exactly. Yeah. Like, just drinking the poison, like just stop <laughs> drinking the poison, like let it go. And it is so freeing, whether you do it with electrodes attached to your brain in a, in a, and an exercise you go through in a tank, you don't think you have to do it that way. You have to get very, very clear on this is lowering my vibrational frequency. This is holding me back. I want to forgive this person so I can move forward. I want to let go of this situation and these negative things that happened to me um, for the sake of my own. I want to live my own centenarian life. And, and, um, I, and, a lot, and a lot of times it's on ourselves, right? A lot of times we have to forgive ourselves. We, we feel like crap and we blame ourselves. And we don't even recognize it. So um, I think we also have to kind of look at ourselves in that regard and make sure that we're not causing problems to ourselves by ourselves. Yeah, we, we had to do that in the pods too. And we went in there with the electrodes on our brain as we had to go through. And that's where I lost it. And I was in there just sobbing. I was sobbing. Yeah. I was like, I went through an exercise to forgive myself of some parenting mistakes I made with my oldest son. And I just... You just feel like everything's kind of lifted off you. And it's like, oh gosh, <laughs> I didn't need all that. Yeah, you you feel like you literally 40 pounds got taken off of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you forgive yourself, when you realize I did the very best I could and nobody yeah. nobody gave me a manual when I came into this life. And I you know, I, I read these stories about the centenarians, how they are revered. And I wonder if that's a part of it too. And I, I'm not entirely sure how to help be a a change agent in making this shift in our culture, where we sort of put our old people out to pasture and we put them off in some brick rambler home and we visit them a couple times a month to feel better about ourselves compared to these, these centenarian populations or, you know, they don't have to be centenarians, but they're in their eighties, nineties, hundreds, and, and nobody can eat until the elder has begun eating like that. That is not how it goes around here. And I think one thing we can do is we can start to take a look at our elders as people we want to go to for wisdom and advice and a laugh. Like they're funny. 
Yeah. Old yeah. people are funny, right? I, I'm kind of with you on that, right? Like I actually don't know the answer to this, you know, and how to, how to so help foster change because there's, there's, a, there's so many things I think we're doing wrong. One is I actually don't know that we have a ton of elders that are acting like elders, you know, that, that like have the wisdom, right? So I think to some degree, we've actually lost wisdom and there's not, we don't have the sort of, in other words, maybe we need more elders stepping up to fill that role, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, I don't think that's the main component because I think you're right. We basically kick out our parents as soon as we can. And we have this independent mindset about us from, from basically 18 years old, right? I need to get away from my parents. I need to push away. If I live with them, it's weird, right? Like if you're a 32 year old guy, like, and you have a, and you're living with your parents and you bring home a date, you're going to be looked at as really weird, right? Like, so, so there is a weird societal thing here that I don't know how we solve. Whereas, whereas in some of these communities, I think you're going to probably tell me it's different than that. Oh, it's, I mean, this is the, this is the thing is they grew up in a different time and they, their whole lifestyle was different. So oftentimes, let's say you had a, a traditional family, mother and father with, let's say eight kids, which should be actually fairly traditional in a lot of these places. Um, the mother and father would tend to either both go out and work or at least the father and the mother would be taking care of the kids or working or both. And in which case the, the grandfather and more likely the grandmother would be there helping taking care of the kids. So if, if mother was out there, you know, sort of doing some physical work and manual labor around the house, then you need grandma there to help watch the kids and, and deal with the kids and, and, and even breastfeed the kids sometimes. Like this was a story. Like if mom wasn't there to breastfeed or couldn't breastfeed due to some infection or what, what something happened, grandma would come in and breastfeed. So like th- they played a role in society, in the family. They were necessary. If you didn't have grandma and or grandpa there to help you or even answer great answer, and, you know, there's a whole unit. Um, then you couldn't get things done effectively. And so the kids developed really good relationships with the grandparents. The grandparents, you know, were uh, served a useful role, which gives them purpose, which factors into longevity and their health because they're there for a reason. Now you have knowledge and wisdom being passed down. So, you know, I think in those more traditional cultures, you can see the roles, but it was also more natural. Whereas now we've, we've moved beyond this sort of uh, demanding uh, culture of, 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 of physical labor and, and survival. You know, I mean, we're doing podcasts and writing blogs. You know, <laughs> We don't need grandma and grandpa necessarily to help us with kids. So the question is, is how do we sort of incorporate this? And I don't know the answer, but, I, but what I can definitely say is that, you know, the older generations probably, and, and maybe as we become older, gener- you know, in that older generation category, we probably should not continue this idea of retirement. And per- perhaps we should incorporate this idea of serving a role, whether that's, um, you know, it, it can be anything, you know, uh, taking care of our, our farm or our garden. It, it can be taking care of the house. It can be helping with the kids. It can be, um, you know, donating in your time or, or whatever, right? But I think having a purpose, and playing a role is really important to society and important for your own health. And so I'm kind of with you. I mean, I saw such a different lifestyle. And and in, in Okinawa is a good example of this, where you have like 97-year-olds and 98-year-olds who don't live at the elderly home. Like, you know, they had these elderly homes, but they would live outside of the home perhaps. And then they would come and hang out with all their 94 and 102 year old friends, right? Like they might get a bath there. They might get some help. Not the senior center, not the, not the urban senior center. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's just, it was like a senior center. It's exactly right. And they, they would just hang out and they would play certain games. They would be entertained. So it was very interesting to see sort of this different dynamic where they still came together as a community, even if they didn't have a family, but they weren't cast aside and um, they didn't operate with this retirement mindset. So just very, very different. And I don't know what we can do here other than to sort of take charge of our own lives as we get into those older ages. Yeah, it seems like here in the U.S., we overwork for a certain number of decades of our life so that we can get to the point where we do nothing. Stop. Yeah, exactly. And, and then when we do nothing, there's so many retirees who have these crises that sometimes 100%. span a few years and they end up many of them, especially like executives and entrepreneurs where they always had a project. Like I know I'm addicted to projects. I know that I love it. I love work. I love meaningful work. I love building something. I love writing a book. I love you know, managing my team. I've got 25 employees and I love it. And I started to get to this point in the last couple of years where I'm like, wait, I'm like hitting all my goals. Like all the things have happened. Like I checked all the things off the list and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Now what? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like if I stop now, what would I do? And so I'm not ready to put myself out to pasture because <laughs> I feel like it's just now, just now, just barely. They start to have something to say, something of great value to offer. That's more than the stuff I read in books. It's like actual wisdom that I achieved from living life. And so we, it is incumbent on us. Now I'm philosophizing and lecturing a little bit here, but I am really interested in what you have to say about it too, (laughs) that we have to keep ourselves healthy so that we can be the elders who actually have something to say. And we're not like with Alzheimer's in a home for 15 years, eating cafeteria food with our family dropping in twice a month to bring us a house plan. Yeah, I, I, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's to some degree, we would be taking helping take care of our older, you know, grandparents or, or parents or whatever, but to some degree, they would be helping us. So, right, there was sort of like a mutually beneficial relationship. And I don't mean to make it sound transactional, but to some degree, there was value all around. And now we don't seem to have value on either end because the wisdom is sort of lost. There's sort of uh, no real desire for, for, you know, grandparents to really play a role. It's like, and I I feel like the, the the parents don't want the grandparents around all the time. And the grandparents don't really want to be around the kids and the grandkids all the time. Right. So um, I think we've just kind of lost our way in that regard, but I think you're exactly right there. We've lost the wisdom. Um, we, We don't, especially now where the, the younger generations are moving into technology. It's such an insane clip, right? I mean, it's like these kids, that's all they do is use technology and they're really good at it. And it's clearly the future. So how do we integrate this with the older understanding of things, like the wisdom, right? I mean, I remember chopping wood with my grandfather, right? And like, who chops wood anymore? I mean, maybe some in some places, yes, but, but there was something interesting about that, right? I mean, you're moving, you are outside in nature, you're, you're focused on a physical task, which is very simple. So your mind's not wandering. You're not checking emails, these types of things. And you're sort of just in a more natural state. Um, and so, you know, whatever it might be. You have the most organic conversations when you're doing something yeah. like that too. Exactly. And you're problem solving in various ways. And I mean, there's just so much to that, right? And so um, I think all those things that our grandparents and great-grandparents might've done aren't necessarily being done anymore. And so we're losing the context for a lot of this stuff. Why, why would I want to do that when I can just 
do this here and it's electronic and it's faster. Right. And so isn't we're there losing a, the context. Isn't there a, um, isn't there a study showing that men who live to be, I want to say a older than 90 have at very, very high rates, daughters and granddaughters taking care of them. I have no idea. I haven't seen that, but it probably makes sense. I do know, and this is interesting from a woman and a male female thing that when you have a married couple and the male, the man dies first, it actually benefits the woman's longevity. <laughs> and when the woman dies first, the, it negatively impacts the man's longevity. So it, it appears that women basically are the key to everybody's longevity <laughs> and for the, for the men. And then, so women help men and men negatively impact women. So there you go. That's all. Well, we don't want to, we don't want to hurt the feelings <laughs> of our male listeners, but um, in, we rely on you on you women to, to keep us healthy. Well, divorce statistics are that after a divorce, the women get happier and the, and the men yeah, get, I mean, it get makes unhappier. Sense. <laughs> I get the, it. You know? And the men turn around and get married really, really fast because they were happier when they were married because right. It's and and actually to be fair to men, I want to say that the you know uh, the research in psychotherapy draws these inferences from that, which is that men's needs are easy to meet, and they get those. We're simple creatures. Yes, they get. There's two simple needs, and there those needs are met very well in the marriage situation for men, women more complex. Hey, we're difficult. It's not. We don't. We don't not explain. <laughs> what what's going on with us to be difficult because we don't even know sometimes right <laughs> anyways very sideways let's go back to let's talk about some of your um thoughts on aging if you ranked all the factors that accelerate aging or make you more likely to suffer from chronic disease where would you rank environmental toxicity or having a toxic home where we're indoors, what, 90% of the time, and we've got, like you've mentioned, cleaning products and our Teflon on our cooking utensils and our laundry products and our mini cosmetics, et cetera. Where does that rank? I would say definitely in the top three. So I'm going to give you my top three just to sort of round this out. I think sleep is critical. So I think that would, a lack of sleep, in other words, that's where we repair, regenerate, we do everything, you know, so if you're not sleeping well, then no matter what you do elsewhere, elsewhere, you know, around you, it's not going to matter. So you have to sleep. So that's, I think that's going to have to be in the top three. Um, the emotional aspect of things, I think is also in the top three, just because it's such a prominent thing in our, in our culture. And I'd probably put toxins in there as well. So rank them one, two, and three, kind of however you want. I think those are maybe perhaps the three-legged stool that we would look at. Um, and the thing about toxins, it has to include all of the toxins. So you have artificial light toxins, which are becoming more and more of a problem. We're starting to recognize it, which is good, but these artificial lights, this has only been around for the past, you know, 130 years, basically since 1890, essentially, um, this is a problem and, and it's gotten worse ever since about 1980 or 1990, it really started picking up and getting worse. So the, the light toxins are a problem. Then you have the electromagnetic toxins, which let's back up. Let's so back up to light toxins. I think you're talking about, but tell me if I'm wrong, like blue light that we're looking at at night when we're on our laptops yeah. or on our TV. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, and so I, I, I was a former, uh, you know, energy efficiency engineer. Okay. And so one of the things that happened in energy efficiency is we took out the infrared aspect of lights. This, this was what we went to when we went to complex fluorescent, we started flashing them. We took out the infrared. This saved a lot of heat and a lot of energy. Well, that's great. Except for that's a really weird spectrum of light that the human body has never seen until the last 30 or so years. So this changes biology in really profound ways through the, through the eyes and on the skin and all these things. So it's a toxin and make no mistake about it. It is critical that we get this right. Um, so that is a big one. You have electromagnetic, right? This is Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and these type of things. Also a big, big problem. And I know it's sort of being debated and people are minimizing the effects. I think I, under, I understand that, but I also, we have to recognize that this stuff is becoming more powerful and more, uh, it's everywhere now, right? You have basically this, everything is smart, right? Sort of the internet of things. And so if we don't recognize the potential aspect of the toxicity there, and we keep moving forward at the rate we are, we're going to find out real quick who's right in this aspect. And I'm pretty confident that it's not going to turn out pretty as we move into 5G and everything starts to become electromagnetic. So yeah, to- talk, talk about that for a second, because not everybody knows what you're talking about. When we say we move into 5G when the 5G network rolls out. Talk a little bit yeah. about yeah, so so electromagnetic frequencies, right? This is Wi-Fi, this is Bluetooth, these are cell signals. This this is a form of light. Electromagnetic frequency is a form of light. Um, you know, just like and it is natural to some degree, but not to the extent that we are getting them. So X-rays fall into this, your microwave oven, um, you know, these type of things, and they're becoming so prominent. And most of the research on this stuff is looking at two G. So this is technology from your cell phone that was from 15, 20 years ago, or well, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, so it's old technology. Now we've, you know, most cell phones are on 4G and, and moving into 5G. So 5G is now 40 times more powerful than 4G. And so what that means is from a technology standpoint, it's fantastic, right? I can download a high, high definition video in like seconds, right? Like it's really cool. And also you can do surgery from New York uh, on a person in, in LA, Right? We can do really cool things with 5G technology. The downside is, is that this stuff is so powerful and the cooler it gets, the more people are going to want to use it. Right? So if I can download videos in, in seconds, I'm going to be doing that. Right? And so to some degree, it's sort of this compounding weird effect that it's everywhere now. And if you're talking to your you know, Amazon Echo and you have the, the smart thermostats and you have uh, the smart refrigerator and the smart TV and the Xbox and the computers and <laughs> all of a sudden everything is Wi-Fi around you. And if you could see Wi-Fi, it would look like this weird smog. Like it would just be everywhere. And well, and you body- actually can. There's cerulean photography that shows it to be this big chaotic mess. Whereas Absolutely. I, whereas I think of somebody out on the Nicoyan Peninsula, you know, <laughs> like has just like pretty you know, natural earth vibrations everywhere. And I mean, and, and we, and here's the thing we know that in the presence, being in the presence of like forests or trees, like literally hugging a tree changes your brain. Right. So to think that Wi-Fi and these things aren't affecting us when a simple tree can affect our brain. Like, I mean, come on, like we have to open up to this idea just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not affecting us. So that's a major, major toxin. And it's a toxin that's growing and, and increasing. So we have to look at that. Yeah. If you, if you don't think that these things have an effect on you because you can't see them because we Americans tend to not believe something unless, you know, the medical profession has done a double blinded placebo controlled, (laughs) you know, study and published it in a medical journal, just go sit in a room for 10 minutes with Wi-Fi on or go sit near a smart meter 
and then go outside and sit in the sunshine, which is actually charging your electric battery and put as much of your earth, your body in contact with earth as possible, or stand on the earth and hug a tree and see how different you feel. And and anybody who cannot tell me they do not feel radically different and they do not feel the improvement in their energy and mood from going outside and charging in the sun and grounding on the earth is so completely out of touch with their own energetic field that something's very wrong. Yeah. Well, and the biggest one right now, I think is sleep, right? Everybody's almost everybody I know has some form of messed up sleep. Uh, definitely every client that I've worked with has, has disrupted sleep. And one of the things that is impacting that, I think, is not only the artificial lights that are coming from our overhead lights and our computers and these type of things, but it's also the Wi-Fi. And so, and, and the Bluetooth and the cell signals, right? When you have the cell phone on, you know, next to your, on your nightstand next to your head and you have the Wi-Fi router on at night and all these things, it disrupts your sleep. And if you don't believe me, turn, turn all that stuff off and watch how better, how much better you sleep over, over time. And, and I mean, clients, there's people talking about this. I mean, it's, you may not be noticeably impacted, but that doesn't matter, right? I mean, I'm not noticeably impacted by the chlorine that's in my water through the showers, but it's, undoubtedly and unquestionably affecting my biology, right? So we have to be really, really careful with this stuff. And the other aspect of Wi-Fi and also toxins like metals and aluminum and mercury and uh, arsenic and all these things that we're seeing in our environment, if you throw some tinfoil in a microwave, which I would not recommend, um, but it's going to spark like crazy. Uh, That's the interaction between electromagnetic fields and metals. And so we, we know that we're all toxic, it's just a reality, unfortunately, we have to accept to some degree is that we have toxins in us because they're everywhere. So if we have toxic metals in us and now we have Wi-Fi, who knows what that's doing? Like there aren't studies to show this, you know, um, the, the, the impacts because it, it's, it's impossible to control for a study like this. We, we can say that it is impacting us based on other research, but we don't know to what effect and exactly what's happening biologically. So it's even because we're so toxic, especially with metals, it's even more reason to suspect that Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and, you know, cell phone signals are impacting us. So we have to really pay attention to this stuff. And then there's the chemicals, right? The chemicals, the plastics, the, you know, everything that's preventing fires that are in furniture, you know, all these retardants and all these things that are in carpets and drapes and furniture. Um, I mean, Again, to some degree, it's daunting, you know, and it's and it's overwhelming and it's sort of depressing. But I think the thing that you can sort of do is, as if you're new to this, is sort of go through that little quick depressive phase and go like, oh my god, Uh, and then you need to move through it, right? And like, all right, well, I have the control, I have the power here that I can do what I can do. I can change my soaps, I can change my detergents, I can minimize my use of everything. I can get shower filters. I can get. you You can just you move, right? You move forward. And, and you start reducing and you get organic cotton sheets, right? And if there's anything I would say, you take nothing else away from this, the first step I would always recommend somebody take is go to get organic cotton sheets for their bed because you spend seven to eight hours a day in your bed. And so if you're not changing your bed or your bedroom environment, then you can get uh, air filter in your bedroom. Think in bedroom first, right? So if you're starting on this journey of improving your home, go to the bedroom first, and start fixing that because you spend seven to eight hours, hopefully, uh, in that room, perhaps directly in contact with, you know, bedding and sheets and these type of things. So um, there's ways to move forward. We just have to become aware and then step into that power and, and want to fix it. 
Okay. That's really interesting. We haven't had anyone else tell us that they think that one of the most high impact things they can do or the low hanging fruit is get organic cotton sheets. Why? As opposed to what is our, are our sheets made out of and what's that doing to us? Yeah. I mean, first of all, if it's, if it's cotton sheets, um, it's most likely that it's GMO cotton. Um, genetically modified uh, cotton is a huge, huge product, which contains all kinds of pesticides and herbicides and these type of things uh, and toxins. So, you know, if you're, if you're, cotton sheets are not organic, then you're, you're setting yourself up for an issue there. If it's some other, uh, you know, material, it's synthetic, you know, in all likelihood. It could be bamboo, you know, organic bamboo is another option. There's organic sort of plant fibers out there that you can get, um, you know, but if it's, if it's some sort of polyester, some sort of blend, these are all petrochemical products, um, you know, before 1940-ish, that's when the sort of chemical boom happened. We didn't have these things, you know, plastic wasn't a thing. I took a plastics class in my, in engineering and in college, and I learned all about plastics and the history of plastics and truly fascinating, uh, the explosion in this plastic world and how it allowed us to accomplish a lot of things. But now we're starting to see the issues. And, you know, that was also one of the things I learned in, in, in my, my education about plastics was that, man, they're tough, tough to get rid of. You know, you can, do some really intensive processes to, to recoup them and regenerate them and recycle them, but they don't go away. And so that is, I think, an easy low-hanging fruit thing to do is go to organic bamboo, organic cotton, uh, sheets, bedding, uh, and, you know, and look at the mattress as well um, to really make an impact um, on in a time where you need to be recovering and you're spending seven to eight hours a day every day. Super interesting. I I think that's um, a brilliant, uh, anybody can understand that if you stick microwave um, or let's see, aluminum foil in your microwave and turn it on, you are seeing the interaction of metals with chaotic frequencies. And we're all being bombarded by chaotic frequencies and we all have heavy metals in us, which is coming from everything from pollution to sushi to our amalgam fillings, whether we still have aluminum foil that we're using to the aluminum foil that we're actually using. And then you also make a fantastic point about how all these 8,000 studies have been published about the actual effects on human cells or living cells of electromagnetic frequencies on cells. We're done with with really old technology, which is 2G, now we're going from, from when we go from 4G to 5G, we will be, you said, 40Xing our exposure to EMF. I mean, there are a lot of people who are saying this is going to be a, a human health uh, catastrophe. Uh, I, I don't want to sound overly dramatic uh, or alarmist, but honestly, from the research I've done into physics and light and interactions with biology and what they're looking to do with 5G, um, it honestly, it scares the heck out of me. And to the point where if it, if it is implemented in mass scale, I probably won't be living in that city or in the US. Um, it's to me, it's that important. And I'm not going to hang around for the experiment and for some government agency to tell me that it's okay or it's not okay. And, you know, we're, and we end up with another DDT. I mean, this is the thing. If people are looking for the government to, to tell them what's good and bad, um, they, they need to they, yeah, it's, they're, they're not going to serve us just like they haven't protect us from GMOs and they just glyphosates and DDT. And I mean, here, here's a great, here's a really cool study. Okay. You, if uh, Robin, you'll probably remember this, uh, but if anybody's too young, they, they may not, but in the, in the eighties, nineties, New York had a really big wave cr- crime, a, a, a wave of crime, right? There was tons of crime, violent crime and 
theft and all this stuff in New York City. This was a kind of a big deal. And then Mayor Giuliani came in and there's all these strategies on how to clean this up. Well, they saw a really dramatic decline in the rate of, of crime in New York City. And there's lots of groups looking into this, right? And they looked at economic factors, socioeconomic factors, racial factors, all kinds of things, you know? And there was two independent groups that came to the same conclusion and they didn't know it. Is this, but, is this where the, the crime like dropped massively without the government interventions that were planned? Yes, exactly. Okay. I, and, and, and I know exactly what the, what the conclusion was. And I'm interested to hear you say it because it is very controversial. This is like one of the subjects of Freakonomics, isn't it? it I, I actually haven't. It might be. I don't remember. Um, but I, I remember reading an article about this in an in a, in a environmental magazine. And I was like, holy smokes, this is mind blowing. Um, but Giuliani gets all the credit, which is funny. But what they traced it back to was that it was most likely due to the removal of lead and gasoline. Because lead for a long time was used as a gasoline additive. And, you know, as highly dense areas of a lot of automobiles would be producing a lot of basically lead exposure through the air. And so as lead was removed through in the gasoline, they saw about a 15 to 18 year lag in the drop in crime, which makes sense because lead is, you know, basically a neurotoxin, makes people more aggressive, it makes sort of more, you know, it lowers IQ. Uh, it basically all the things that would factor into more violence, it, it, it results in. And so as you remove this stuff, the, basically the 18 to 20 male population in particular, that is, the lead is not impacting them as much, the violent crime starts to go down. And this was very controversial, but they looked at the same thing in, all, in every major highly dense city, Chicago and all around the world. And so, you know, I mean, it's not proof, but... Um, Two people came to the same conclusion and they traced it all around the world and saw the same things. And it makes sense. So these are the type of things that we have to look at in terms of, of the exposures. And, and I came from the construction industry in, in engineering. Uh, asbestos was a big one. I, I, I would still see asbestos in places around the world. And what's really fascinating is that for decades, asbestos was used like it was no big deal. I mean, people were sawing it, cutting it, you know, touching it all over the place. Now, when you like see asbestos, you have to like, <laughs> you have to totally freak out. So I find it really interesting that without any sort of fault, that there was no, uh, the government didn't accept any responsibility for this. It's almost like one day, oh no, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. And then the next day, oh my God, nobody move, right? And it's like, well, how do we go from it's totally cool to it's the worst thing in the world? without anybody accepting responsibility for it. And it should get swept under the rug, right? So are we really naive enough to think that that's not going to happen with glyphosate? That it's not going to happen with electromagnetic fields? I will bet anything that I own that's exactly what happens is at some point it will be accepted that glyphosate, electromagnetic fields, and some other things that we have in our environment will be like the be all end all, like don't touch that stuff. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, it's no big deal. Well, I mean, my father was spraying malathion on the cherry orchards that my family owned here in Utah, you know, before I was born. And it's now, it's been banned for many, many years here in the US. And so I think what you're saying is the hope that I'm looking for in this is that you've given examples of how now we don't have lead in our gasoline and we don't have lead-based paint and we don't have asbestos in our, in our insulation. 
We have to keep talking. You and I, Jason, must be our mission to keep talking about this because we will impact people every time we talk about it. Every yeah. single thing that you put into play that you hear here, that you are learning from Jason in his worldwide research on what causes disease and what leads to longevity. If you put these things into play, every single one of them matters. It is incremental. Incremental improvement is improvement. You don't sit in your car and text in an, in a car that's turned off wearing metal jewelry, you didn't make yourself an antenna, boom, you just improved, you improved one thing right there. And obviously there are a lot of things we've covered in in deeper dives or in very superficial level, a lot of things. But I believe that as we educate more people, that we will see answers to the 5G network. I mean, there's a big financial opportunity out there for the people who are actually developing on the network to find ways to protect the American public. And as you and I and many others educate people about the risks that are coming our way or already in our, I believe things will get better, like yeah. removing lead from paint. And, well, and, and, and here's the thing, and I want to send a message of empowerment, right? Because there are things that are out of your control. That's just the reality, right? Like you can't control some of these things. But there's so much that is in your control. And the cool thing is, is that your local environment is what matters most. The, the light that's in your house, the electromagnetic frequencies that are in your house, the toxins that are in your house and on your body and in your food, that's really what is making up probably 80 to 90% of the, of the problem or the load. So if you can correct and deal with 80 to 90% of the issue, just by it, the way you interact with your local you know, environment in your house and on your body, then that's a tremendous factor, uh, especially as it, uh, over time, right? And if think about if everybody did that, then the entire society changes, right? The, the entire external environment changes. So instead of trying to go, you know, march and do all these things and, and, and you know, write your congressman, like just buy different stuff and buy less stuff and change your immediate environment. And you will see a snowball effect that's more grassroots driven. And, and talk to people who you have influence with, um, you know, Libby Darnell, who I did the, I did a course with her on how to decrease EMF in your environment. She's become an expert on it. Her whole journey started when she was very, very ill. She was running a biomeridian scanning machine in her medical practice for like 12 hours a day. And she was so ill. She was like, told her husband, I'm going to start like hearing voices. They're going to have to admit me soon. Like I'm that ill and that like bordering on crazy. And she was somewhere and somebody told her to go outside Chicago winter to go outside and lie on the ground. And she went outside and lay on the ground and felt so much better. She had not felt that good for months. It turned a light bulb on in her. And here she is now has impacted even just through my work, the Green Smoothie Girl, uh, you know, quarter of a million people has impacted tens of thousands of lives just, you know, as I've helped her take her message out to, she's done much more than obviously her work with me from someone having a conversation with her who said, what if you're energetically ill? What if you need to go drop a whole bunch of electrons into the ground and pick up some other ones. And she went out and lay in the grass and an epiphany happened. An amazing thing happened. So we need to talk about it. We need to educate ourselves. That's what you're here doing. You're listening to this. This is a great first move. I'm super ecstatic to introduce you to Jason Prawl and the longevity project that he's spent a ton of his life building. Um, you, you've taught me a lot 
actually just today, Jason, I'm super, super excited for where your career goes from here. I think you're going to do great things. I think you're going to educate a ton of people. I think you're going to bless a lot of lives and you help a lot of people live to be older and happier happier while they're older instead of just being 78 and in a wheelchair and on oxygen the last two years. That's not, that's not the dream. That is not the dream. No, no, I I appreciate it. Honestly, it means a lot. Um, it's, uh, when I got out of engineering, that was what I, I understood. I, this is what I was meant to do is figure my own garbage out and, and use that to help educate other people. Right. And that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's all about you. You know, we, it's our own personal journey every single one of us. And so if you, instead of giving your power away to a doctor, to a practitioner, to anybody else, I mean, yes, they are useful. I'm, I'm one of them, they can be useful, but they're not needed. Honestly, you have everything you, you, you ever need. And so I think we just have to kind of own that and step into that. And I mean, you, you point out a great example of something so simple and free, go outside and lay on the ground. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. So um, we just have to just get back to who we are and what we're meant to do and get out of the mold of the, of the modern environment just a little and start to move in the right direction. Um, then it, it just makes it so easy. I want to mention one kind of random thing, but it's related to something you said before. And it's just been totally like right here in my brain is that as you're talking about EMF and, um, 5g network rolling out, which a lot of us who are really out there live in the health, wellness, nutrition world have been really concerned about, I'm moving to Park City, Utah this fall, and I'm going to be in a, a complex of, of condominiums, condominiums. And the two condos that I own are in a big complex. And I'm used to this, this where I live right now is a freestanding house. And so I've been nervous about it. You know, I can't really get away from the 5G network or I don't know what the whole smart meter thing is. I'm thinking of getting EMF blocking paint. And I just have a little more research to do to make sure that the paint itself doesn't have actual chemical toxins <laughs> that, but you know, I mean, my paint does anyway, right. In my condo, but I'm alert about that. I will put that in there and I'll put my notes about what I discovered and whatever the solution is that I decide to go with. If we have to deal with the 5g network, there will be solutions. Um, we are investing, investigating that right now. If you have anything to say about that, you can, Jason. But the last question I want to ask you is, as you went all over the world and then you you interviewed a lot of longevity experts and some environmental toxin experts, too, I've seen on, as part of your um, your docuseries, what are you, you can address that whole EMF blocking paint, which I'm thinking of doing that in my bedroom so that I can because, by the way, when I tested my whole house, Libby Darnell was here when we were building that EMF um solutions video masterclass on everything she knows about EMF. Uh, and it's like 10 videos and nine demo videos. And we did everything from, yeah, we like tested Chad's Hyundai, my Tesla. And we, we show like, here's what the EMF is in my battery powered computer run car and his, you know, gas powered car and everything and my whole house. Like my son turns out he had two game boxes that I didn't know about. I thought he only had one. <laughs> turns out, turns out not even on the thing pegged out the meter, just plugged into the wall. We learned lots of things like that and it's all, it's all in there. But one thing I did is that I tested all of my electrical outlets and I learned that in my room, it was too high. In my office, it was off the chart here where Wi-Fi is. So we dealt with all of that stuff. But when I filtered, when I put the filters that we discover are the best price and do the best job in my bedroom, after that, I had the only in 
recent memory in the last however many years, the only two nights in a row of uninterrupted sleep. Like I didn't wake up. I didn't wake up for two minutes or two seconds. I literally slept for seven and and nine hours those two nights without waking up. That literally hasn't happened to me in recent memory. Like for sure in the last three years, that's never happened to me once. Happened two nights in a row. Can't say I've slept seven to nine hours without waking up every night since then. But it really made a believer out of me because... I massively reduced the electromagnetic frequencies in my room. It completely changed the quality of my sleep. The quality of my sleep continues to be much better as a result of that. But we will make sure and put those resources in in your free gift for being part of the summit. But so if you have anything to say about EMF blocking pain, if you even know anything about that, Jason, have at it. But will you share with us a few things that you did as you learned all this stuff all over the world? What did you do in your own lifestyle? Any any extra things that you haven't talked about yet? Um, I, I didn't really change anything. I mean, you know, I went into this documentary and to create this documentary with a sort of a, a framework or a, a thing I was intending to put out there, right? And I knew that these people could help me frame this. So, so a lot of it was sort of already with me in terms of the experience and the knowledge. What I learned from them, I think, just compounded some of the most important things, right? I mean, first of all, being in the societies, so this is interesting. You know, when you go to these places in Costa Rica, for example, we were there for work. So it wasn't a vacation, right? I wasn't there just hanging out. I mean, we were there to try to find these hundred year olds and do all these things. And yet time felt like it slowed down or stopped. And so to, what that taught me was that the environment that you're in is impacting you more than you think. Because when we came back to the US, nothing had changed in terms of our schedule and what we needed to do. But yet I already felt like I was late for something. Time felt like it, it was speeding up and I was already late and I, my gosh, right? So nothing changed except for the location. And so it really taught me that the environment that you're in is really, really impactful. And if you don't like the way your life is playing out, perhaps you should consider moving to a different environment, whether it be a smaller town, whether it be out of the US, whatever it is for you, but understand that your environment, you are a product of your environment and it's impacting you. So that was probably the biggest takeaway that I didn't mention was that, wow, we really are sort of mirrored, uh, you know, the environment's mirroring back to us. Uh, and impacting us in a big way. So no matter what you're trying to do, if you're trying to fight that, you know, if you're living in a busy hustle and bustle city and you're like trying to be calm, and, and it's just, it can be very tough. Um, but in terms of the EMF paint and the bedroom stuff, EMF paint's a real thing in my in my estimation. You know, I've, I've done measurements uh, with the tri-field meter and I've done that type of stuff and I've seen the impact. And there's a whole industry. I mean, we have nets. You can get you basically, um, you know, these nets that go over your bed that protect you from electromagnetic fields. Um, the thing about the, the paint, EMF paint, is that you, you know you still have windows, you know, so that's a thing, you know, so it's, it doesn't fully protect you in that regard, but is a major uh, step forward. The other aspect is that keep in mind that if you have the shield um, keeping electromagnetic frequencies out, it also means that you're going to keep electromagnetic frequencies in, right? So it kind of works both ways. So as we take that step to sort of paint the walls of electromagnetic fields and block these things out, we need to now go, hopefully, instead of using Wi-Fi, we can go to, to a, a hard cable, right? I mean, I have my computer plugged in right now to a cable. Um, you know, no Wi-Fi interruption doesn't dis- disrupt. It's very stable. It's faster. There's no Wi-Fi needed. So, I mean, I think people forget the cable drops are very simple and easy, and we can use those effectively. So that's a good way to eliminate Wi-Fi. Um, 
you know, cell phones. Now you want to basically keep your cell phone in airplane mode more often, probably, so that the your cell phone isn't trying to go grab a signal. Um, this is one thing that you'll notice. The, the reason that your phone will die faster when it can't find a signal, uh, when, it, when it's in an area and there's no signal and it, the battery will drain faster is because it's going to put out more power to try to go grab that signal. So because it can't find something, it's going to work harder to try to go find a signal. That, that's why your battery dies. Well, when it's putting out that, that energy, it's impacting you more. So anything that's going to disrupt your signal, like if you're in a completely enclosed environment that doesn't allow you to, to attach to a cell tower, your phone's going to now put out more electromagnetic frequency, right? So we just have to understand that there's sort of this two-way thing happening. We keep things out, but we also keep things in. So I think... I would totally advocate for electromagnetic uh, blocking paint, uh, particularly in the bedroom. And at night, there's no reason to have your Wi-Fi on. There's no reason to have your cell phone on. So let's just shut these things down and go back to, I mean, Robin, I'm sure you remember a time when we didn't have cell phones. I mean, I was in high school and we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have this stuff, right? And so we, we forget. And this is the funny thing. And this is why it's so interesting to go around the areas that we went to. We forget that we came from that, the simplicity. Right? We're so advanced now, but we forgot that in our childhood, we didn't have these things. You know, we, we, we lived in a completely different way and we were perfectly happy. So we don't need them as much as we think. And as we shed them, as we let go of all this stuff, we start to recognize where our true happiness is, where our true purpose is, where we, where we find meaning again. You know, it's not in the Instagram likes and how many people shared your latest tweet. Um, there's meaning in, in more fundamental things. And I think we have to shed some of this garbage uh, to get back to that meaning. And that's what I noticed in, in these places and with these people, they had meaning in real things. They didn't have, they didn't look for meaning in artificial garbage. And again, that's the emotional toxins. That's, it, it all compounds, right? So you see that we get caught up in this crazy artificial insane life and we don't need it. Um, it's only harming us in major, major ways. And we just have to develop a better relationship with it, I think. Brilliantly put. Those are fantastic closing words. Thank you so much for so many little pearls of wisdom. I've learned so much. And there are so many actionables in this interview that I'm really, really excited for my audience to hear. So thank you so much, Jason Prawl of the Human Longevity Project. Thanks for having me. 